Would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We're going to go into chapter 16, but we're going to start in chapter 15. Chapter 16 begins to unfold Paul's second missionary journey. This will take us through chapter 18, verse 22. We followed Paul and Barnabas on their first mission trip as they took the gospel of Jesus Christ to Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. The hand of the Lord was with them and blessed their preaching immensely. And most significantly, they saw the Lord open the door of faith to the Gentiles. They were already being converted before this trip. Um, This certainly wasn't the first time, but it was certainly the most extensive and successful time of seeing the Gentiles brought in. The door of faith to the Gentiles had swung wide open and they were coming in. Paul and Barnabas also established churches in every city. And that's important for us to realize in to something that's so obvious, but when God saves a person, He places him in a church with other believers. He, he does so for their good and for His glory. The second missionary journey began as a follow-up to the first. When the Apostle Paul proposed to his fellow worker Barnabas, let us now go back and visit the brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So it was a sort of follow-up mission. Their plan was a good plan. It was a godly plan. It was a plan full of concern and love for other Christians and for the church. But as we all learn by experience, the truth of the proverb, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And while they do visit some of the churches they planted and some of the brethren they administered to, the Lord had other plans for these missionaries in this second journey. And uh, if you know what I'm talking about, you'll be glad he did. Uh, we're all glad that he did, and we'll get into that more at another time. But last week we saw in chapter 15 that after Paul made this good proposal to his brother, he and Barnabas had a real falling out, a sharp contention, it says. It It was over whether or not to take along with them John Mark, who had accompanied them on the first journey, but John Mark didn't get very far and decided to turn back and go home. Well, Barnabas, it says, was determined to take John Mark this time, but Paul insisted that he not go with him because he had, for whatever reasons, deserted them and went home. Proverbs 25, verse 19 says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. It's not pleasant. Well, this led these two good and godly men to go their separate ways, which is a very sad thing. It tells us 
in chapter 15 that Barnabas took John Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Uh, so Paul now is going to go on that journey anyway. But you think for a moment just what a discouraged that a discouragement they, that must have been, at least at first, for the Apostle Paul. He uh, not only lost John Mark on the last trip, uh, but when they get back, now he loses Barnabas, his right-hand man. Well, what's he going to do? Uh, what's going to happen? Well, where God guides, there He provides. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, the Bible says, but... Who can find a faithful man? Well, there were some faithful men that the Lord brought him into contact with. And so what I want to look at today is this new team that's going on this second missionary journey. Let's begin reading in verse 40, and we'll read through chapter 16 and verse 10. But Paul chose Silas and departed. That's after Barnabas left with John Mark. Being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysiah, they tried to go on to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what we see in these verses is really two things, a new team and a new direction. This morning, I want us to look at the new team that the Lord brings together for this trip. Now, having refused to take John Mark, he also loses Barnabas, as I said, who was indeed his right-hand man. But God, in his faithfulness, provided two other men to accompany Paul on his second missionary journey. Those two men was, first of all, Silas and then Timothy. So we will look at Silas first, and we'll give the majority of the time looking at his other brother, Timothy. First of all, he says that he took, or Paul chose Silas uh, in verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed. So here we're told that he chose him. It doesn't say that Silas volunteered to go, and Paul 
had to take him along. No, it was Paul who chose him to come. Now, of course, Silas went willingly, but it was Paul who selected him. And I say that because if you say, who wants to go? And you get a bunch of hands raised and say, okay, let's go. No discernment, no filtering out or any of that. Uh, that's not the way Paul operated. Uh, he chose men he thought would be good for the trip, good for the journey, good for the mission. And so he chose Silas. Now, as we look at Silas a bit more closely, we see that Paul chose him for good reasons. We first hear of Silas in chapter 15 at the end of the Council of Jerusalem, at the conclusion, he's one of the two men chosen by the church in Jerusalem to carry the letter back to the church in Antioch. It's not that they didn't trust Paul and Barnabas to take the letter back, but they thought it would be better if these men, these chosen men from Jerusalem, would accompany them and they could explain the letter more fully. They could, And even their very presence would, would put a stamp of approval on that letter. But if you look in verse 22 of chapter 15, it tells us this, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So, these two men stood out in this church in Jerusalem. Remember, the church in Jerusalem was the church of the apostles. It was the first church. Uh, it was where the Spirit came down and blessed and saved and a great multitude were saved. This was the mother church. But in that mother church, these two men, Judas and Silas, stood out. Now, Silas already had a very high recommendation from the church in Jerusalem. Um, uh, but these were good men. Uh, Matthew Henry says, those they sent were not inferior persons who might serve to carry the letters and attest the receipt of them from the apostles, but they were chosen men and chief men among the brethren, men of eminent gifts, graces, and usefulness. They sent their best to take this letter. And I'm sure Paul was observing all of this, even on the trip back to Antioch. Paul's conversations with Silas as he picked his brain and as they shared their stories and so forth. He was observing and evaluating. But they were preachers too. For it says in verse 32, Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, they were prophets and they were preachers, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Now, they were preachers. They they came and explained and they opened up the Scriptures and they, they exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And you don't have to have many words to be a preacher, but that seems to be a characteristic of a preacher. But they had many words, didn't they? Well, then it says in verse 33, And after they would stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So they're going to go back home to Jerusalem where they came from. But verse 34 tells us, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. That is to remain in the church of Antioch, a, a largely Gentile church. Now, I'm sure this too must have caught the Apostle Paul's attention. 
as he as he sees this man and he really has a heart for these Gentile Christians. What a man. What a good man. He would be just right for this mission trip. For you know, when they go, they go into the synagogues, but then they preach to the Gentiles and they see Gentiles converted and they rejoice. But here's a man who's fit for the job. So, seeing his gifts and his graces and his heart for the Gentiles, Paul chose Silas and departed. And notice it says in verse 40, um, in verse uh, yet yeah, verse 40, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Now, I don't know, and some have suggested that this implies that the church agreed with Paul over Barnabas in the dispute. We don't know if it really does, but it certainly implies that they agreed with Paul's decision to take Silas and his mission. And I'm sure they were sad to see these two good men, Paul and Silas, leaving their midst and being gone for even years. Gifted men, godly men. But for the cause of Christ and the spread of the gospel, they commended them to the grace of God. They let them go. And they let them go with their blessing and their prayer for them. Matthew Henry said they prayed publicly for Paul for the success of his ministry, encouraged him to go on in his work. And though they, the church in Antioch, could do nothing themselves to further it, they transferred the matter to the grace of God, leaving it to that grace both to work upon him and to work with him. When it says they commended him the grace of God, there wasn't any more they could do, but they could commend him and turn it all over to the grace of God. And the grace of God was with them. And bless them. And then, um, and then it says uh, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That's exactly what they intended to do—to go back to these churches, go back to these Christians, see how they're doing, and to help them out and to strengthen them. But notice it says uh, in verse one of chapter sixteen. Then he. Paul, but they, Paul and Silas, came to Derby and Lystra. I thought, what thoughts must have swirled through his head as they're approaching the city? This is where he was stoned, you remember. Dragged out of the city, left for dead. Maybe they go right by the very spot where Paul was lying there. They thought he was dead and the disciples gathered around him. And, and then he gets up and, and does what? He goes back into the city. But here he's going back in and, and he, he thinks, I, 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 I'm going to be doing what I got stoned for. I'm going to go back and preach Christ. What an amazing thing. What a man of determination, of courage, of faith. He's going to do exactly what he was stoned for. But then it says, Behold, a certain disciple. You think of that. What was he expecting? Well, he tells us in Acts 20 that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. That's what he was expecting. Probably more persecution. Maybe he'll get stoned again. They said when Paul went into a city, he'd check out the jail, not the Holiday Inn, because he knew he was going to be in jail soon for preaching Christ. 
He says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what I'm here for. And so he goes in, but it says, and behold, ah, look at this. I've told you that's what that word means. It's a, it's a word to grab your attention, to point. Look at this, just like John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, it says, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. And so here's the second member that was added to their team. A certain disciple named Timothy. And then we read in verse 3, Paul wanted him, wanted to have him go on with him. Uh, Paul was around him enough. Perhaps he knew him from this previous visit. That's probably where Timothy was converted. But he, as he understood more about him and was told more about him, it says, and he wanted him to go with him. He, he wanted him to become his right-hand man. He would become Paul's closest companion, his closest confidant, his, his go-to man. Years ago, many years ago, Mark Skeels and I took that trip to Serbia. Some of you were around when we did that. It was over 20 years ago. We went with Bob and Kathy Self uh, with the uh, Arbka. We were taking a, an offering. We, uh, we, had a, uh, we wanted to visit Simo Relevic. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but uh, our church had taken a rather large collection to bring to Simo. We spent a, about a week in Serbia visiting night and day with Simo and his family. Uh, we'd be visiting at night till they kicked us out. <laughs> we had told us it's time to go home. So I'll go back to your hotel, he meant. But um, uh, we had just such a wonderful time and seeing all his various ministries, his large book ministry, his his help with the church, he was pastoring a church while helping these other house churches and all. And um, we got to know him and he got to know us. And i never forget, he he saw our brother Mark's evident interest in his work and his zeal. Uh, he saw all of that, what we see and, and love. And he said, and one day I remember him pointing to Mark and he said, I like this guy. <laughs> I like this guy. I wish I had him here with me. He'd be my right-hand man. Remember that? I remember that. Um, but I imagine that's something what happened here with Paul and Timothy. The more he got to know him and saw him, he says, this is the man I want with me. He didn't want John Mark because John Mark was not faithful. In some way, he wasn't faithful. Some of us said perhaps he saw something in Timothy that he didn't see in Mark. But he saw something he wanted, he needed. He saw this could be useful for the ministry. Well, we know, all know of Timothy. He's mentioned many times in the New Testament. Uh, Paul refers to him in, I believe, eight of his epistles. Uh, and two more epistles were written directly to Timothy, and they bear his name. Do you children know what those books are? I think you do. First and Second Timothy. They bear his name. Well, we probably know more about Timothy than any other companion of Paul. There's more written about him by Paul. He became his close and constant, perhaps his closest companion uh, throughout the rest of his ministry. He was with Paul all the way, perhaps even to his death. Paul was in that Roman prison and says, come to me before winter. 
He hopes you can come. And, and I bet he did. But he was there. And, he, and so he was ministering. Well, Luke tells us a, a lot about Timothy too. But he tells us, first of all, in this passage that he was a disciple. Notice, behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, verse 1. So he was a disciple of Christ. That means he was a Christian. He was a believer. He believed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. He had embraced that faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That means he believed that he was a sinner and that he needed Christ. He needed what Christ, who Christ was and what He did for sinners. And so he came to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It was about three years earlier that Paul and Barnabas had come through that city and preached Christ and salvation through His name. And it's likely that that's when Timothy gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it says also that he was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. Verse 1 as well. Well, her name we know was Eunice. We know that because Paul mentions her by name in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 5. And he, Paul calls to remembrance the genuine faith that was in Timothy, which first dwelt, he said, in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. And Paul was focusing on her faith. And both of these women, Eunice, his mother, and Lois, his grandmother, were, were godly women, God-fearing women. And they were believers as well. Maybe... Someone suggested that they were um, uh, they were Old Testament believers. They were like we see Simeon in the New Testament who was waiting for the Lord's return. And uh, perhaps that's what they were. Then when they heard that He is the Christ, they believed. They were believing that He's coming and now they believe that Christ had come. But they too were believers. Later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, Paul says to Timothy, you, Timothy, must continue in the things that you have learned and become assured of uh, you, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. So he commends him and them because they taught him, his grandmother and his mother taught him uh, from being a little child taught him the Holy Scriptures. And that's the most important thing we can teach our children. The Word of God. And Timothy was raised on the Word of God. I'm sure that was impressive to Paul. Here's a young man who knows the Scriptures. If you want to be in the ministry, you must know the Scriptures. Well, certainly this was a quality that Paul prized and saw in Timothy. And then Luke tells us that Timothy's father was a Greek. He was not a believer. Uh, he, he was a Greek. And might ask, well, why would Eunice, a Jew, marry a Gentile? Well, we don't know. But we do know that it was strictly prohibited by the Jewish law to marry a Gentile. Now, they say that the further away from Jerusalem you got, uh, the looser the, the standards were. And 
more Gentiles, so they would marry Gentiles. But regardless, it was still wrong. Some have suggested that she may have gone through a period of rebellion in her younger years. and Or maybe she listened to the current philosophy of the world that you're to follow your heart. Your heart says this, and she fell in love. Uh, she, like they say, fell in love with a smile and made the mistake of marrying the whole man. Well, well, she may, she married the wrong one in one in this sense that it was prohibited by God. Being unequally yoked presents many challenges. This is certainly accounts for the fact that as we read. Timothy had not received the covenant sign of circumcision, which a faithful Jew would have always performed. He would have been circumcised, but Timothy was not. And then he tells us here in verse 2 that he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium, not only in his own hometown, but in the surrounding towns. Well spoken of. Now this is all the more remarkable when you consider that Timothy was a very young man at this time. Um, later, many years later, perhaps 10, 12 years, maybe 14 years later, he writes to Timothy and he refers to him, or he says, let no one despise your youth or youthfulness. Well, he must have been very young here. Some say perhaps 18 or 19. I, I don't know where they get that, but... Uh, or how they arrive at that figure. Uh, one man I was reading, one commentator, if you took some of his uh, his numbers and you put them all together, he was about four or five when Paul asked him to come with him. Well, uh, that we know that isn't so. But he was a young man, a very young man, like some of you young men and young ladies are here, same age. He would have fit right in. Well, Matthew Henry said he had not only an unblemished reputation and was free from scandal, but he had a bright reputation. And great uh, accolades were given to him as an extraordinary young man and one from whom great things were expected. Not only in those places where he was born, but those in the neighboring cities admired him and spoke honorably of him. He had a name for good things with good people. And that's a good thing. He, and Paul heard this and knew it and talked to people about him. And the more he t- heard about him and, and talked to others about him, oh, his estimation of this young man grew and grew. And it wasn't just his mother and grandmother saying, oh, he's a fine boy. And he'll make a fine minister. <laughs> he wasn't going on the basis of that. Uh, parents, uh, yes, we listen to the parents. And if they say no, then our ears perk up. If they say, yeah, oh, they're great. We don't necessarily think that that's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It could just be a mother's heart or mother loving their child. Uh, but no, it's everybody. And in the next city, they're talking about, do you know Timothy? Boy, he stands out. He stands out in the crowd. Um, I, I heard a pastor comment in a sermon on this passage. And he said, I believe that we have some Timothys right here in our church. And I immediately thought, you know, I think we do too. <laughs> I think I think God has given us some Timothys and, and some Loises and Eunices here, right here. And that's a wonderful thing. We should thank God for them. We should pray for them more and pray for them that God will 
bless them and keep them and strengthen them and use them for His glory and to further His kingdom here on earth. We should do all we can to encourage them. But that's what's going on here in Lystra at this at the church there. And let me say one other thing. Sometimes we can hear wonderful testimonies of how God radically saves someone who's immersed in the world and perhaps in a very wicked life and doing all kinds of terrible things and God saves them and wonderfully saves them. And they give their testimony and, and someone hearing that might think, oh, I wish I had a a better testimony. Mine's just just kind of blah when you hear something like that. Oh, this this man he used to be in a gang and you know he beat up people and he robbed things and and now God saved him and he's preaching. What a wonderful testimony! And and yes, that's a wonderful thing. And God can save out of the deepest, darkest places in this world and make someone and a trophy of His grace. The Apostle Paul was that. He was murdering the disciples of Christ. What a testimony. He's preaching the, the gospel that he once tried to destroy. Oh, but look at me. I, I don't, I just, I don't even remember when I got saved. I've been believing this stuff all my life and I, I've been following the Lord. I believe I have. I've gone through the childhood and now I'm a teenager and, and uh, I just don't have that testimony. Oh, you have a wonderful testimony. What grace it takes to preserve someone from this wicked world. What amazing thing. And you know what? You have much less baggage than the rest of us. <laughs> you have less things you've got to deal with in your life. Um, and maybe even look at his mother, Eunice. You know, she married an unbeliever. And she's having to pay the price. <laughs> she has to bear the fruit, uh, eat the fruit that this, her decision had cost her. So you might have less baggage and you can thank God for it. Thank God if He's preserved you. Don't worry about a good testimony. That's a great testimony. What God can do in saving people at an early age. And we prayed for that for all of you children growing up in the church that God would save you at an early age. And some He has. And we thank God for that. But we read in verse 3 that the Apostle Paul wanted him to go with him on this trip. Uh, a truly amazing thing is that Timothy wanted to go. It doesn't say that, but he went, and he went willingly. You think of that, this, this old man, Paul, and this young man, Timothy, uh, laboring side by side in the gospel ministry. That, you think, oh, that doesn't seem to fit, but oh, it does fit. It fits wonderful. Uh, some people think that, you know, Timothy should be around those of his own age that he can better relate to and so forth. Well, he wanted to be with this older, wiser man that he could learn from. He was there when Paul and Barnabas first came through Lystra, preaching the gospel. He, he saw what they did to him. He was under no, under no illusions that this was going to be a pleasure trip or an exciting time. He saw what they did to Apostle Paul. I'm sure he heard about it if he didn't actually witness it with his own eyes. How they stoned him, they thought, to death dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. But he wanted to go. That's an amazing thing. A man that young, with his whole life ahead of him, to leave so much behind. But he would become Paul's closest companion. In fact, 12 years later, 
Paul would write this, his letter to the Philippians about Timothy. You don't, don't have to turn there, but if you'd like to, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And Paul is telling the, the Philippians that he wants to come to them shortly, but he's going to send Timothy. No, Paul can't come at this time. I'm sorry, he's in prison. He said, but I trust, verse 19, he said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now, he's speaking of Timothy. Twelve years later, Timothy is proven to be the right man for the right job. And so he says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. He's not going to come in with a professional preacher attitude and you know he's here to like a, a, a professional to do his job. No, he sincerely cares for you. And he says in verse 21, for all seek their own. Here's the contrast. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character. And that as a son with his father, he has served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him to you at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. So he he trusted everything with Timothy. Matthew Henry calls him a non-such. It's an old word, but it, it means a model of excellence or perfection, one of a kind, having no equal. That's what Paul thought of Timothy. Nobody like him. He speaks of his like-mindedness. No one so like-minded. If you're going to send someone to do the work, especially such a momentous work as this, something that's so dear to your heart as these Philippians were to Paul, you want to send someone like-minded, someone you can fully trust, someone you can count on to carry out your deepest concerns of your heart. Timothy was a non-such. He was like Paul. He was like a son, like father, like son. Uh, he had uh, a man of proven character, he says. He had endured persecutions with Paul and so forth. Loyal. He served me. He slaved with me, he says. He performed the duties of a slave. He did everything he was supposed to do. What a man. What a good young man. Now, this doesn't mean that Timothy was perfect or had no faults or flaws. He certainly did. He was quite timid, you know. Paul has to write to him and say, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. And he tells him not to be timid. Don't, don't, don't let them look down on your youthfulness and so forth. He also had frequent ailments. He says, you know, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your oft infirmities. He was a weak constitution in a sense. However, rather than allowing this to be an impediment or an excuse for not ministering, by God's grace and Paul's encouragement, he pushed right through and was very useful in the work of God. Robert Murray McShane said, It's not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister, he said, is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And that was Timothy. What a godly young man. He feared the Lord. He wanted to follow the Lord. He, he, he was serious about his life. 
when all the other young men were out playing or chasing girls, he was studying the Bible. He was praying. He was helping people. He was a good man. Well, there was one more potential obstacle that Paul saw in Timothy that he believed could be a hindrance to wider usefulness. You see, Timothy was uncircumcised. And everybody knew it. (laughs) Everybody, even in the other towns, they know his father's a Greek. That means he's not circumcised. So, think of Timothy. He's kind of in a no-man's land. Uh, He's... um, The Jews think he's a Greek and the Greeks think he's a Jew. (laughs) Who am I? Well, uh, Paul said, no, we need to get you circumcised, Timothy. And people see some inconsistent, terrible inconsistency in Paul. They had recently concluded this Jerusalem council, which came to the firm conclusion that circumcision was unnecessary for salvation or sanctification. Uh, It doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't even make you more right with God. Paul states to the Galatians in Galatians 5, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Well, then why circumcise him? Well, notice it says in verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brethren. I mean, verse 3, Paul wanted to have him go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. They, as I said, they all knew. Uh, they, they knew that his father was a Greek. They all knew that his father was a Greek. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it wasn't because of the Jews to please them, but so that he might minister to them. You see, when Paul would go into these cities, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogues. And he spoke the gospel there in the synagogues. Timothy wouldn't be allowed to go in there and speak a word because he's uncircumcised. Circumcision isn't going to make you right with God. Uncircumcision isn't going to make you wrong with God. Let's just get you circumcised and we get that out of the way. What a beautiful accommodation. Al Martin calls this a flexibility and sanctified accommodation. He says there was a flexibility and sanctified accommodation in his general appearance and conduct in order to secure an unprejudiced hearing of the gospel. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. To the Jews I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To the Gentiles I became a Gentile that I might win them. I become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. That was... His reason for doing it. And so, as Al Martin said, if if to gain that unprejudiced hearing, he had to sacrifice principle, he would be, in effect, denying the gospel and he would have none of that. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, it says when he he went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, he took with him Titus, who was a Greek. Well, what, what was the issue there? You have to be circumcised if you're going to be saved. And so he said, I wouldn't let him be circumcised. No way. No way are we going to let Titus be circumcised. In fact, he says um, uh, he was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of the false brethren who secretly brought in to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. 
that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, so Paul, that says a lot about him, doesn't it? John Newton said, Paul was a reed in non-essentials. What does a reed do? It bends. It's flexible. It'll do this or do that. In non-essentials. An iron pillar in essentials. And that's what we ought to be. Like a reed in non-essentials. Things that don't matter. What they call the adiaphora or the things that are indifferent. It's not condemned by the Bible. It's not commended by the Bible. It's just indifferent. Circumcision had become that. Well, I can get you circumcised if that'll get, if they'll, if they'll let you speak in the synagogue. Why not? Why would I want to stand on your liberty? Why would we want to stand on that if it's going to close the door to the temple or the synagogue? So it says a lot about Paul. But I think it says a whole lot about Timothy. When you stop and think about it, and I heard uh, David Campbell say, well, maybe you don't want to think about it. <laughs> but you think about it. Here's a young man who's going to be circumcised without anesthesia. The surgery performed on him. And yet he doesn't seem to blink. Doesn't seem to bat an eye. He's ready to do whatever he needs. What a young man. I mean, that might be the thing right there to say, no, so I think I'm not going to be able to make it to that trip you want to. You want to send, you want to go on. I've, I've got some things I got to do, got to take care of here, and mom needs me. Grandma, she's getting older, and he could have made up some excuses, but no, he just goes right along. What a wonderful testimony of somebody who's willing to sacrifice anything for the cause of the gospel. That's why Paul said, I have no one like him. No one like him. What a, what a precious thing this is to see a young man like this, and yet God raises up Young men and young women like this. And you young women, I'm speaking like, it's just all about young men. It's young women too. These young women grow up and they raise families and they teach their children and so forth. And it was this mother and grandmother that nurtured this young man from a babe, taught him the Scriptures, and now he's become the most fit instrument for use in God's kingdom along with the Apostle Paul. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that God saves people the way He does. Some He plucks out of the fire and some He brings them up through the godly family. It saves them by the same faith, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but in different ways and for different uses in His kingdom. But this ought to encourage the young people here to follow Christ like this young man did. There was nothing he wouldn't do for the cause of Christ. Is there something that would keep you back from following Christ? Some say, well, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Christ, but it's going to cost me too much. It cost this young man his whole future. He was ready to leave everything behind and did for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of commitment that God desires. That's the kind of commitment He demands. He demands of all of us if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. And that's all we're talking about here. Denying ourselves. Oh, our, our wants, our desires, our goals, our ambitions, our dreams. Yes. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Here's this young man who followed this Paul. <laughs> I mean, 
if you looked at the scars all over Paul's body, you'd say, I don't know, Paul. But he didn't bat an eye. What a good man. The Lord commends him. Here we're talking about him 2,000 years ago. But only God can make a minister like that. Only God can make a Christian, whether he's a minister or not, a Christian that will be that useful in his kingdom. May God do that in our church with the young people here. And I hope you young people will take this to heart. Say, Lord, make me a Timothy. Not so everybody can be talking about me, but so they have something to talk about that's good and not bad. So they can say, look at that young man. There's not many like him. Only a few. But may the Lord make you a few and make an army out of you. And that's how this world will be one for Christ. Look what they did. These two men. And it wasn't just the two. The Lord had someone here and there. These three men. But God still used them greatly and mightily in His kingdom. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send out, thrust out laborers into His field. For the harvest is ready. The fields are white and the harvest is ready. So pray. May we pray that God will raise up more, even from our own midst, that would be willing to go out to sacrifice everything. And you know what? As, as um, uh, Jim Elliott said, he who loses what he cannot keep will gain what he cannot lose. The things of this earth that you want, your, your dreams and all, they are fading. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures none but Zion's children know. To have the faith of a Paul or a Timothy or a Silas. May God grant us all a faith like that. To follow Him wherever He leads. Wherever He leads, I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Let's pray.